0: This is the Book Riot Podcast, a weekly news and talk show about what's new, cool, and worth talking about in the world of books and reading. This is episode 307. We're recording on Thursday, April 11th, 2019. I'm Rebecca Shinsky. I'm here with Jeff O'Neill. We're coming to you from bookriot.com. That
1: that was a nice uh, improvisation there. The the date was wrong. You like that? the header? That's enough to throw off my whole day if I hit that. That, That's a a speed, but this jalopy just falls apart on (laughs) it. I am like
0: fueled by sunshine and Mm. possibly a hibiscus hard lemonade so i'm doing all right today
1: riddle me this uh back girl is hibiscus in like drinks that you can buy off the shelf that's new right is that the acai berry of like the late um, 20 teens here because i feel like i'm seeing hibiscus everywhere
0: i feel like it's having a moment but it's not totally new like there's a um hibiscus tea that i've consumed for several years but i do think it's having a like it's it's hitting some sort of threshold where i had like a hibiscus kombucha recently because i'm a hippie mm. and um there are hibiscus i just had that hibiscus hard lemonade i think i had a hibiscus infused beer at some point yeah it does seem like there's a there's a thing maybe it's it's crossing over some yeah mo- it's having a, a moment
1: on an infinite timeline every scent that's in your bath <laughs> room will eventually become something you drink in hard alcohol. That's just inevitable. You it's know, all it's all going to be there in the fullness of time.
0: I did have a moment last year where I was making um lemon sorry, lavender lemonade. Yeah, and,
1: lavender great example. Right.
0: Yeah, like there's a huge lavender bush in my yard, what am I going to do with it? There's a um Thug Kitchen recipe for lavender lemonade, so I'm making that, and then later on, running a bubble bath also with lavender. And I was like, something about this does not feel totally right.
1: <laughs> it is, it, it, you know, how like it was it? Pan the the color company Pan, Pantone. They do the color yeah, of the mm-hmm, year every right. year. Mm-hmm. I feel like maybe someone. I'm sure someone in New Jersey does this. Like the flavor. Like what's this year's flavor to watch? Uh, and I'm sure mm-hmm. it actually would lead. Sort of what they're putting into lattes at Starbucks or whatever, because that oh, feels a yeah. little bit behind. But like, I feel like where are we a... headed towards the, the the flavor of the year? Like, you're saying like two years ago would have been hibiscus, mm-hmm. and now it's trickling down into to other things.
0: I've so. been seeing juniper lattes. I don't That's know it about that. <laughs> I, I hate 100% juniper. Agree. <laughs>
1: that is, gin has never been um, my not drink even... of choice.
0: Yeah, I'm not going to try a juniper latte. I feel like I don't need to to know that I wouldn't like it, but I've been seeing that. But it does feel like there's this real thing happening right now of like, what botanical could we infuse this item with that's
1: even worse than like bathroom botanicals now we're into like cleaning product botanicals like that's pine salt <laughs> i'm not drinking that like we don't need 409 lattes we don't need any of that stuff.
0: 409 lattes welcome yeah. to a podcast about books yeah. and reading
1: yeah marinated in wd-40 it would nothing <laughs> that none of this is okay um Anyway, so hibiscus, is, I, matcha's had its moment. We're past that. That's just part of the mm-hmm. culture now. Like things are green tea flavored, which is fascinating to, to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying, I, I wish I could remember like, what were the flavors like in the 90s when we oh. were growing, when we were in high, like what well, were the- Well,
0: nothing was natural. It was like clear Pepsi.
1: Well, that's true. That It, it was like Franken sodas. Like <laughs> you could put, you, you just put cherry syrup in everything. What could you make cherry, quote unquote, yeah. cherry flavored? Yeah, that's a I good was,
0: I was telling you just before we started the show that I just finished watching Pen15 on Hulu, which is set in 2000 in a middle school, and there's a scene where two kids are practicing in the band room after school, and one of them is drinking a Surge, and I was like, oh, right, yeah, sure. Surge. Like, he's wearing Jinkos and drinking a Surge, and oh, it was such a boy. moment.
1: <laughs> that is something else. Anyway, let's get to the show. We could do this all day. Uh, the, our first sponsor this week is the... Center of the Universe. Not the actual Center of the Universe. It's a book called The Center of the Universe, in case people were confused, um, by Rhea Voros. Here's the deal. So the main character is a budding astronomer, astrophysicist. This is a good sponsor today. we got pictures of black holes Mm -hmm. now. Very exciting. It's a huge fan of real-life astrophysicist Dr. Elizabeth Tasker, who makes a cameo in the book playing herself. Dr. Tasker is delighted about this and um, read and approved the manuscript after being approached by Rita. Um, there's even a Q&A with Tasker at the end of the novel. Dr. Tasker is a world-renowned astrophysicist and science communicator and currently lives in Japan, where she works for the Japan Aerospace Explorations Agency, JAXA, J-A-X-A, uh, the Institute of Space and Astronautical Sciences, uh, researching computer models to explore the formation of planets and galaxies. She herself also has a book al- called Planner at the Planet Factory, so you get a little bit like Inception of the real world into this book about a kid who wants to be an astrophysicist with a real life person that's in the book. I don't know, it's kind of mind bending. I like it. it. Seems like appropriate for a book about astrophysics, which it's like. If you ever want to get high without actually taking anything, just think about, just you know, just go to one of those planetariums and watch a thing about the origin of the universe and you'll feel like, you know, you've ingested something that maybe was a Schedule II narcotic 10 years ago. Anyway, that is The Center of the Universe by Ria Varos. All right. Thanks to them to sponsoring for sponsoring the show this week. Okay. Uh, Let's do a follow-up. So we got some Scribd fans emailing in, um, and we really asked two related questions, I guess. One is, what do you think of the original content writ large idea and then the Mm -hmm. Mueller's war as like, can you tell us anything about why they might pick that book? Um, Let's take the most specific one first. The best theory I heard about this, and again, this is um, half-baked theories, which I appreciate. Oh, yes, those are the best. Was like, well, there's been so many Trump books this year, that they think maybe people came to Scribd because the hold at their library for whatever was so long, oh. but they could read Fury or listen to it. There's no hold list on Scribd. You 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 could just listen to it. Okay. And they thought maybe some people were in it for those kinds of political books, and so another one that they could only get on Scribd might be a good hook to keep keep up with it.
0: That's not a bad half baked theory. It, it's it's plausible. Like mm-hmm. it has
1: it's connected to something that's you know right. new and different. Um. So that one I thought was interesting. And then in terms of like excitement levels i would say this is um, not interesting <laughs> to the people who who wrote to us about script
0: the people have declared this a nothing burger
1: yeah e- i mean even what's that we said like okay so maybe if jk Rowling has a whatever mm-hmm. they're like even that and and as some of it was you know i want to read what i want to read and yeah. that it unless it's something i really want to read myself i don't think we keep it into me the other point which i think was well taken is there's something about this this middle ground between a magazine article and a book that feels like itself is half baked. Like if it's an actual thing, why not make sure mm-hmm. it, a, why not just go make it a thing? Oh, like, hmm. you know, why give me the leftovers or scraps or like, you know, the, the yesterday's fish special with today's know. soup kind of. I kind
0: of disagree with that. I've read enough books that were too long where it was like, we gotta make this thing book length and so here are five extra chapters. That... Yeah.
1: I, I think they're thinking, which I can understand is if it was even that good, they would make it long too long.
0: Mm-hmm. They're they're
1: saying, Are these things even not good enough to make long <laughs> you know, are they being expanded from a magazine article?
0: Got it. You are know, they too I, I don't long know. at the half bank? Are they too
1: they long it? already, right? Mm-hmm. It doesn't I I take your point like it completely that there's a lot of books that you could read, especially in sort of the self help, productivity, businessy yeah. kind of things. Like, all right, I get it. This could be 80 pages longer and skip all the right. anecdotes.
0: Yeah, I think I'm just trying to. I think I'm in the place of like the length of a book tells me not much about yeah. if it's going to be good or not. So I'm trying not to read too much into like that. It's not a an article or a book. It's an in between thing.
1: Yeah, I think the, the to use a different analogy is like this is sort of the um, freelance equivalent of like regifting.
0: Uh, <laughs> you know, like, you know, it's
1: it's all right, and I can do this with it, and I wouldn't use it myself, but I don't know. I don't know if that's unfair, but that was the the point taken. It's like, it's not a magazine article. It doesn't have that tightness and focus of a magazine article. It's also not a book. It's this other kind of thing in between. And since we don't know exactly what the motivations of the authors are, like, maybe we would feel differently if, like, and Roxanne Gay got a $100,000 mm-hmm. advance for this mm-hmm. thing that would maybe signal that it's premium content, but since publishing doesn't talk about how much money it makes, we never know anything, and so anything could be garbage. But I, I, <laughs> I don't, I don't <laughs> that was too much. Too
0: All fun. the problems of publishing summed up in one. Yeah,
1: <laughs> so uh, I thought that was interesting that it was not gonna be a deal breaker. A- okay. and, and the point that kind of, to connect a few dots was, you stay for scribb for the breadth of the catalog, and one additional pebble on the beach doesn't make it a better beach. Which that makes sense to me. Mm-hmm. That makes sense to me. Um, all right. So there's that. All right. Um, you want to do the follow up? Yeah, an update? we. Can't. Yeah, I want to do that next.
0: Exactly the follow up, or at least on the road to the follow up we were hoping to get on last week's story about the Washington Department of Corrections, which at the time had issued a new policy that blocked prisoners from receiving used books. Um, there was a, I think, predictable public outcry about this new policy, and it, it appears now that the DOC is amending the policy. The um, Secretary Chair of the State Department of Corrections of Washington, his name is Stephen Sinclair, announced last week that it will ensure that prisoners are still able to receive used books. Um, the original memo blocked used books through the mail over the stated issue of the potential of contraband coming in. Um, and the Seattle nonprofit Books to Prisoners was one that we had been discussing there because they have been sending used books to correctional facilities for decades with no issues about contraband. And so they were raising some eyebrows about is this really what's going on. Um so Sinclair really has just followed up saying that they're going to continue working with Books to Prisoners to adjust the policy. Um, the quote is we are going to ensure that we have processes in place that allow people to get used books. They won't all go through the Washington State Library as they don't have the resources. Um, and that lack of resources is one of the reasons that Books to Prisoners exists and continues to try to you know, provide access and then fight for ongoing access for prisoners um, books to prisoners itself made a statement on Facebook. Um, it looks like this is just from yesterday as we're recording the show saying that they think um, that this is a good start but that there are still policies which need to be negotiated not just for books to prisoners in Seattle but for all community groups that are sharing a mission of providing free used books to Washington prisoners Um, and they there's a longer um, there's a longer note from them that we'll have a link to in the show notes on their Facebook page along with a link to a full memo about the updated policy so if you're especially if you're in the state of Washington and you're following this story you can get a little bit more information Um, but happy to see that This pattern that we've seen in other places where prisons have issued or departments of correction have issued policies, Um, the public does not like this. Um, And there has been an outcry that so far typically has resulted in walking back the policy. Really happy to see that um, that pattern is continuing, though, like, obviously, ideally, we wouldn't be in this pattern at all because we wouldn't be seeing departments of correction and prisons trying to walk back access to books in the first place. So I really wonder if we're going to hit a point where we can stop having these stories. Like, Will the prison people all start talking to each other and being like, hey, don't actually make this policy because it did not go well for us?
1: Yeah. Um, I'm not sure if I can use their name because I know it's sensitive, but mm-hmm. uh, I'll, I won't. I'm I'll, I'll on the side of caution that someone sure. who works in this field um, listened to our show last week and said we asked the question like was there some sort of conference among people oh, right. who work in mm-hmm. prisons that said you know this is something we have got to pay attention to because we are you know we're we feel like we're seeing more of these stories mm-hmm. than we have in the past and this person said we're wondering the same thing Interesting. who works on the on the on the nonprofit side saying like, so I guess there is some sort of uptick like why they're not they're not clear why this is happening either. Um, right now, so there's still there's more to figure out. Was there a mem- was, was there a memo? You know, was some knowledge sharing saying you know th- this is something we need to crack down on because X, Y, or Z, or they're do it they're doing it for reasons of like we speculated about. You know, it takes staff time to facilitate these programs, and if you're going to cut something, I can imagine it would be easy for a prison to say you know these all this time we spend going through books or whatever we could get rid of that. I, you know, I, I don't really want to do a, a generous reading except people have reasons for doing things we just don't know what they are and like why they there's a confluence of these reasons happening all at the same time
0: yeah it feels like there should be <clears throat> excuse me it feels like there really should be an explanation for why this wasn't a thing we saw much of and then all of a sudden we're seeing several stories about it per year and like where this pattern came from Um, so maybe we'll have some other little birdies that have some ideas thank you to the listener who wrote in about that
1: one one other point that i was thinking about too is um you know the internet and reporting and things catch on so maybe they were and they weren't just getting picked up you know Mm -hmm. that's another piece of it but one i this another thing that occurred to me too is like i'm as guilty of this as anyone times 10 but like we tend not to think, the many of us, of prisons and prisoners as a group we're interested in advocating for writ large. Mm-hmm. And so things that negatively affect their experience don't rise to the level of let's write a post about it and get a bunch of signatures. But since it's books, which we have like has it we think of as in a romantical kind of a way of having inherent value, that right. one will we'll mm-hmm. take care of. Like notice we're not talking about the food conditions. Right. I have no idea what the food situation is. I'm guessing it's not awesome, but something about not letting nonprofits donate books to prisoners, I don't know, I just I just wanted to comment on that phenomenon as being maybe part of this. It's like, are the, is the thing where, are we actually carrying out the prisoners here, or is it this idea of censoring and keeping books out? I don't know. I, I'm wondering about that dynamic and making myself a little uncomfortable, maybe usefully uncomfortable about yeah, that question. Yeah,
0: I think that's usefully uncomfortable, and it does... I agree go back to at least in part this notion or that we have about books being an mm-hmm. an an obvious net good um and like always a net good and also the sort of noble aspects of right. promoting books and reading and so like To care about books and reading, to promote books and reading, um, to make sure books get to people because books are good and people should have books. Um, It does feel like some of this could be more about literary activism than it is about activism for what Mm -hmm. prisoners need. And I don't want to get into math about like which one of those kinds of activism is more important or more right. I think we can care about multiple things. Um, but if we had to do the math about like what matters more prisoners having nutritious food or prisoners having access to books, like I would, I would find myself very usefully uncomfortable about the, I guess, clash in my values and what I was Mm -hmm. publicly talking about. Cause I think I would have to come down on the side of like, we need to keep people alive and take care of their bodies and feed them healthy and nutritious food first. Like this is a thing our bodies need before they need access to reading and like dictionaries as the stated
1: um, most
0: frequent request. So that is, I think it's important to hang that, lantern out there. Not that it invalidates the literary activism of this and the importance of getting books to people who need access to books mm-hmm. and information. We all should have access to information. But it's not the only thing going on. And um, it really shouldn't be the biggest story, probably.
1: Or or I, I don't even know. I mean, I don't even know where on the pecking order it would go. But like, and again, we work in books. So we see the world through the prism right. of books. So it's not surprised we're going to talk. But I, I did have a moment of wondering about like, it made the front page. I mean, Kelly's story that she wrote for us made the front page of Reddit. Mm-hmm. When was the last time something about prisoners' rights made the front page of Reddit? Maybe it makes it all the time and I don't see it. Maybe it does. Yeah, yeah it's a good I'm question. Ge- I'm guessing it doesn't, though. Mm-hmm. That's that's just my guess. Um, so I I wanted to mention that, too. Um, so anyway, we, you might hear from more about this story um, from us. I don't want to give anything yeah. away, but uh, there might be some more coming um, from, from us in a different venue soon. Um mm-hmm. I think I, you don't even know about that yet. Um, let's <laughs> yeah, see. no, but
0: I'm having—I have good guesses now. <laughs> yeah.
1: Um, this is sort of a follow-up, follow-on new piece of information. That uh, speaking of things we didn't talk about five years ago. Yeah. Um, this story came out uh, a few days ago. This is a piece in The Verge, as always, link in the show notes, um, bookriot.com/listen. You can find them. The first AI-generated textbook was. Um, Let's see. Released, printed. I don't know if it's just ebook only or what. It was made. It's available. You can get it
0: for free. You can download it for free. free.
1: And it is um, an academic publisher named Springer Nature uh, generated using machine learning. It is called Lithium Ion Batteries colon (laughs) a machine generated summary of current research. All right. And it's you know I I don't know that it's a page turner um, necessarily. And as The Verge says, as the name suggests, it's a summary of peer-reviewed papers published on the topic in question, as quotations, hyperlinks, um, reference-generated reference content. Fascinating use case. This is one where so summary of current research means the AI went through a bunch of research related to this topic and generated summaries that you can browse. And this is a very useful thing for researchers and scientists or academics. It could be about anything, I guess. It mm-hmm. just so happens that this one is lithium ion batteries where like without having to go read all the papers, you can go and basically get the Cliff Notes version of them and a machine did it. They didn't have, they didn't have to have humans go do all the reading and writing. Um, they could go do it. And this, we know some news organizations do this for like local sports scores Um, financial reporting, you know, Mm -hmm. where they can feed in the company's annual report plus their pros and, you know, spit out a 300-word thing that says how GE did last quarter. This seems to me a very useful use of AI, Mm -hmm. and you can make it free because you didn't pay a billion dollars for a human to go do this, which a billion is an exaggeration, but this is a very time-consuming effort and it's available and it's the, it's a it's it's kind of a you know with the autonomous vehicles they talk about geofencing so you can't go out of the of the bounds of what it knows it's a limited constrained use case um i think this is really interesting i hadn't thought about this kind of use case in research, but this seems to be exciting. This is the thing where it seems to be additive. Like, I don't think it's taking anyone's job, but it's giving us a new tool that we wouldn't have had without AI here. I'm very interested in this.
0: Yeah, I'm totally fascinated by this also, and a little bit, like, embarrassed that it didn't occur to me that AI would be a great way to move forward academic publishing and Mm -hmm. sort of moving forward the research in this way. This piece notes that just in the last three years – More than 53,000 research papers have been published Uh. on lithium-ion batteries, which if you're a scientist working in that field, there's just no way that you can stay on top of all of that. And so if you can access AI-generated summaries of those, you have a better chance of knowing sort of the full picture of what's going on in your field, which allows us to have new ideas sooner and, like, actually move research forward rather than, like – you know, conducting an experiment that someone else has already conducted, but you don't know because it got published in one of those 53,000 pages or papers that you haven't read yet. Maybe you've only read, you know, 2,000 of them or who who knows, like how much, you can't do that much reading. Um, We're producing so much more information now at such a high rate that applying ai i think to academic work like this is it's really smart and i think it can have huge benefits in allowing the humans who have like we still need humans for innovative thought um i don't think ai has gotten there yet of like we don't have ai that's reading these fifty three thousand research papers and then suggesting to us what the next thing should be we still need people for that and having ai do the summary work and sort of like provide the top level view of a thing allows the humans who do the innovation, to like to get get there, I think in a more interesting way, in a bigger picture way, in a faster way. Like growth will continue to to move because of this in ways that. It can't if you have to try to read 53,000 papers or just be behind. Like everyone is just perpetually not all the way caught up because the volume of information that's coming out is so vast. Um, I think this is fascinating. I can't wait to like – I would – I'm not going to read this one about lithium-ion batteries, but like I was thinking about how – um the first paper that Kahneman and Tversky wrote that like led mm. to all the thinking fast and slow stuff and then led to the Nobel prize that they won like that one of those first papers has been cited like a floppity jillion times and they talk about in either one of the books or an interview that I read with them how often it's cited and you can search through academic journals to find like the number of citations for a thing so it would be cool to have like an AI summary of all the different kinds of studies that have gone back and relied on that Kahneman and Tversky piece Um, you could do that like what, what are the things that grew out of all of these sort of kernel turning point discoveries that we had would be really interesting too
1: yeah, I think the phrase here they use that I think is useful is um automating drudgery, mm. which is fascinating because you know the nightmare scenario about robots and AI, well the night one is the nightmare one is Skynet and they want to eat our brains and all that stuff. The next one down or a couple ones down is they take all the jobs and sort of our economic system falls apart because only the people that own the AI can, you know, earn any money whatsoever like your own labor doesn't even have any value so you can't work and blah 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 which I'm not enough an expert to say, but the the thing that we tend not to think about in the nightmare scenarios around AI and robots is it's the the work that's not being done because it's not worth it to be done. Even to pay someone to do it, we wouldn't pay someone to do it because it's not worth it to us because it wouldn't generate enough revenue to pay for that person's labor. And that's this kind of work. I mean, it doesn't say here, but would this book be, would did this book take someone's job? It doesn't seem like it. Mm-mm. It's just we could do this and create this different kind of object that in human time value is not worth making, but we're not using human time value. And it has worth. It's just somewhere between nothing and where we have to pay someone to do it as a human. So, so that's interesting, though. You might notice here, and um, it's not perfect. There's still some garbled stuff right. that comes out. Like So one phrase that the, the... I should shout out the name of the person on The Verge. Um, James Vincent caught or was brought to his attention was, here's one phrase that is clearly, we're not all the way to the promised land of even spitting out <laughs> sort of rote text is, that might consequence in substantially high emphasizes and henceforth cracking or delamination. <laughs> um,
0: henceforth cracking.
1: Henceforth cracking. I mean, maybe if you know what's, you know, the, the cracking and delamination, maybe in context you could parse that, but just on its face, you could see that something got lost in um well, the robot got a lost, and it's not uh, human-readable there. So there's still pieces here, but I thought this was, I don't know, one of these books is going to be um, a watershed moment, I think.
0: I think it, so, too.
1: I, I don't know if this is it, but maybe this is the one of the raindrops that goes into the watershed. I'm not sure, but um, this really opened my eyes to some interesting use cases I hadn't thought about before. That's not uh, Lord of the Rings fan fiction, which has its use case. Don't get me wrong.
0: Oh,
1: yeah. All right. Um, let's do another sponsor. He wants to okay. pick up another one here.
0: Yes, I believe this one is me. Uh, Our next sponsor this week is Trust Exercise by Susan Choi. This is the new novel by Pulitzer Prize finalist. Trust Exercise is a story about the enduring aftermath of the events of adolescence and about the complexities of consent and coercion among teenagers and adults. Through a narrative twist, Trust Exercise raises questions about the reliability of memory, and the accuracy of the stories we tell, and it considers the consequences of our memories and our stories across time. This is one of the most anticipated new books of the year. I have been hearing nothing but wonderful things about it. It seems like my entire Instagram feed was (laughs) filled with people reading Trust Exercise over the last week. It's uh, published by Henry Holt and available now wherever books are sold. So you can pick up Trust Exercise by Susan Choi at your bookseller of choice, or as always, click a handy link in our show notes. Thank you to them for sponsoring.
1: Um, Speaking of potential watershed moments... Um, this was—I put this in the agenda a few weeks ago, and we didn't get to it, so it's a little bit of of old news. Um, but I still think it's worth talking about, especially in the context of this show. It c- connects a few of our uh, thoroughgoing, ongoing concerns. So Blackstone, well, no longer Audio, Blackstone Publishing, which is the largest independent publisher of audiobooks, um, is partnering with the Story Factory to dramatically expand its presence. This is verbatim from story at nbc29.com, link in the show notes, uh, to expand its presence in the print and ebook market. Mm-hmm. So this is not this is not, you know, print and text publishers adding more and more audiobooks. This is a counter flow. Um, as a centerpiece of this partnership, Blackstone is signing three authors, three authors that are New York Times bestsellers and Edgar Award winners who are PRH, or were PRH authors, are all living PRH to join Blackstone, which in itself is super interesting. So the names, I don't know these names, which doesn't mean anything. Steve Hamilton, um, Reed uh, Farrell Coleman, and Edgar award-winning Meg Gardner. I don't know anything about genre. Well, I guess Edgar is mysteries, right? A couple of mysteries, I'm not sure about the other one. I think this is really interesting and i guess I'll, I'll i'll let you lead off. do you think this is interesting and then tell me why you think it's interesting.
0: i think it's interesting well i think it's interesting on one level because we've been seeing so much growth with audio. Blackstone certainly has experience doing that. um but audio is still a small portion of the market. So, if you want your business to grow, you can either just keep growing audio, like pushing that ball up the hill, which it is growing, but still, or you can branch into formats that readers are reading are consuming more. So print and ebook makes sense there. The poaching of the PRH authors is interesting like Blackstone I think has relationships with a lot of authors directly or with their agents directly because of some of the ways that like audiobooks get made when they're not made in house by a publisher so that stuff is like very complicated and probably more inside baseball than we want to go here Um, so I'm interested in that but really like this piece sent me down a weird rabbit hole because in the third in the third paragraph it mentions that this deal was closed after months of negotiation between the CEO of Blackstone and Shane Salerno of the Story Factory, which represents all three authors. And I was like, what is the Story Factory? I've Mm. never heard of this. So I went Googling. And Shane Salerno um, has a background in like in Hollywood entertainment stuff and is the agent for these writers. But the story factory has is apparently like it's a thing that they kind of keep on the down low. Like if you Google Shane Salerno, the story factory, you get a Wikipedia page and a couple interviews that mention him and some like Hollywood reporter ish type things. But there's not like a website for the agency, which Hmm. is super unusual. Like, you know, mostly like literary agencies or talent agencies have websites that show the agents and talk about who they represent and like how you get them but they don't have that and it's Intentional, I think, like they just sort of fly under the radar. But Salerno also represents Marcus Seiki, who had that really big.
1: Yeah. It was an Amazon. That was with Amazon, p- right? Yeah. yeah it yeah, was an yeah. Amazon
0: p- published book a couple of years ago. I think it was like a thriller. I can't remember. Um, yeah. I remember seeing his name. I can picture the cover. I'm like, it's like standing in the bookstore right now. I can picture the cover and I think it's orange. Um, I don't remember the title. Um, but that, like, this is interesting to me that the way that Blackstone you know, is sort of launching is with poached authors, but they're not like big recognizable names. Like, you know, they didn't poach like James Patterson from Hachette, but this deal with a a guy slash agency that seems to be like powerful and good at high profile deals and good at like making money for the people that he represents. Like the Marcus Seiki deal I remember was very big. Um, Like that is interesting to me that that's how they've, rolled out I have no like I don't have any other information about it because I tried but there's like you can't find out much if you are in publishing and you know things about the story factory (laughs) please hit us up I think it's it's interesting like readers we know don't care about publishers like they don't care they don't pay attention most readers don't know the difference between Riverhead and Algonquin. They're looking for the author's name that they recognize or the title of the book that someone has recommended to them or that their book club is reading or that they saw on the Today Show. Like, So on that end, if Blackstone gets good authors and publishes books that they do a good job putting money and publicity behind, I think they have a chance at this succeeding um, and that they're working with an agent already who like knows how to get publicity for his authors. That seems smart because readers aren't going to be like, what is this Blackstone? Is this a new publisher? I don't <laughs> know about that. You know, like there's, mm-hmm. there's no risk on the consumer side uh, or there's no risk that your consumers like will side eye you because you're new in the market. Cause readers just are not paying attention. Um, so I think that part is interesting to see. We don't see like the birth of a new publisher that often at this scale. Yeah, right. Yeah.
1: The the piece, uh, I agree with a lot of that. The other piece that made me realize, like Blackstone, and you may know more about this than I do, but like historically Blackstone's business model is they make the audiobook edition. They license from other, you know, traditional publishers, let's not call them regular publishers, traditional publishers to make... The audiobook version of the books that the, the 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 main publisher wasn't going to make for whatever reason. So like it's a side business, right? It's mm-hmm. kind of the lead, and Historically, the audiobook version are kind of the leavings mm-hmm. of the the publishing industry. And so Blackstone's like, well, if we do a whole bunch of these and we're good at producing them and we can promote them, the publishers themselves don't want to do it. They've made a nice business for themselves out of this over time. But as audiobooks have become more lucrative, there's less incentive or the publisher can extract more value out of keeping the audiobook rights in house. Mm-hmm. So I'm looking at it like Blackstone's—they need content. They got to produce ah, audiobooks. Mm-hmm. And if they, if publish, if Penguin, Random House, to use the example from here, it's like you know what? We're not gonna, we're not gonna sell the audiobook rights to Blackstone for our books because we can get more of the pie. There's more pie, and we can get more of it mm-hmm. if we keep it themselves. And you can see a chain of events in which Blackstone is like, wait a minute. All these publishers are creating their own audiobooks directly. What's our business? So I wonder if this is not offensive. At first, I thought this was offensive. Like Blackstone's mm-hmm. growing and, you know, mm-hmm. they can do... The more I think about this, this looks to me like a defensive play. It's like, we got to have stuff to publish because we can see a future where all these publishers say, you know what, this, these are ours. There's plenty of money. Mm-hmm. There's no reason for us to give them away. So that's kind yeah. of where I'm coming down the other side.
0: I think that totally stands to reason. Um I'm feeling like we just lived right into our typical roles where I was like Googling gossip <laughs> about a guy whose reputation precedes him, but he doesn't exist on the Internet. And you were yeah. like, what is the business model?
1: What's the business model? Yeah, that's interesting. That's really funny. Um, you know, while Also, we're talking- not for nothing, Blackstone has the most um, – yeah, intimidating name of all it, it, it feels like it'd be it sounds like independent... jason born should yes. work there well that's tre- it's like a combination of treadstone which is the black water Blackwater, yeah, yeah it's blackstone
0: <laughs> it does if you were if you gave people a blind test of like what does a company named blackstone produce yes. not in 20 guesses is someone going to be like audiobooks <laughs> yeah,
1: they, they provide private security in syria that's what blackstone
0: does right yeah right yeah, you know speaking of audiobooks our friends mm. at audible have to give out 12 million audiobooks for free to end a class action lawsuit or a couple lawsuits actually that accuse them of cheating users out of earned credits and violating gift card laws. Ah. Uh, mm-hmm. They also have to pay $1.5 million in attorney fees, but like you're audible. So that's not much money. Right. Um, but under the terms of the deal, 8.4 million users are going to be reimbursed for overdraft fees that they were charged when the company allegedly applied charges to a backup card or a debit card without authorization the class action lawsuit's been going on for 18 months. And before it was reached, Audible twice attempted to have the claims dismissed. Um, They are noting, this is from a website that gathers information about class action lawsuits. We'll have a link in the show notes. Um, I can't remember what I came across this on at first, um, but Audible users are expressing approval of the settlement. And as part of the deal, Audible has agreed to revise and clarify its advertisements, its dis- its disclosures, and its terms. Um, so if you are an Audible subscriber, I guess keep an eye out. You might be receiving some of these free credits. I noticed I got an email last week about an update in Audible's policy that credit, it used to be that your credits expired after six months and now they are good for a year, I believe. Um, And I'll have to go and double check because a few months ago, Bob, like Bob and I share an Audible account and he discovered that his personal Amazon account also apparently had Audible credits that he had not he didn't remember he didn't remember signing up for them and we went back and were able to track that like this had been like he'd had these he'd had an audible account he was unaware of for like a year and half of the credits had expired because he didn't know that they were there and so the other half he needed to like use up quickly and then close that section but we were like how did this happen we've never purchased audible memberships through this we couldn't find receipts or anything so perhaps i am you know unwittingly (laughs) Part of justice him. for Bob <laughs> now he can listen to more Patrick O'Brien audiobooks. Tall ships while sitting on a deck of a beach house overlooking the ocean.
1: <laughs> um <laughs> Justice
0: for Bob. He'll be so <laughs> pleased.
1: <laughs> Hashtag Justice for Bob. <laughs> um I don't know what else to say about this. Um if you would have asked me, do I know how long my credits last, I wouldn't because I, you know. I scoop them up pretty mm-hmm. quick. Six months, at first blush, I would have been like, that seems wrong. That they expire after six months. Uh, you know, we're modern people, and gift cards usually e- either they last indefinitely or a year seems to me a minimum what I've seen from gift cards in the past. Not for nothing. Subscription companies, at all, part of their business model is what they call breakage or is it breakage or slippage? It's, some, it's something where it sounds like you should do something to your hip, but it's actually part of their business model where they know some percentage of the gift cards are never going to be used. They know some percentage of the credits will expire over time, and it's built into the business model. Now, is that wrong? Is that just human nature? I don't know. But it sounds to me like Audible was trying to move up the timeline in their mm-hmm. favor of what people sometimes do. I don't know what is it reason forever seems unreasonable right that right. the company is going to keep on to them forever on the other hand 6 months is too short i think i feel like a year sounds right to me yeah, that seems fair i think fair. that's fair if you're not going to use your credit in a year maybe cancel your account you mm-hmm. know that's okay you yeah, can do that
0: and you can like with audible you own the books even if you cancel your audible subscription so you could like what bob did was just literally use his six credits that were remaining to right. buy six patrick o'brien audiobooks download them and then close that audible subscription <laughs> so like you can you still have access to that you haven't actually lost Those books, like I think having the credits expire because it doesn't mean that you have to listen to the books on a certain time frame makes sense. And like all gift cards have some or I think most gift cards have some kind of expiration built in where either they go completely dead after a certain date or they erode over time. Like mm. I received, I think, I think it was a visa gift card that I received as a gift and it had a note on it that it was like after, I think after two years, it um unused values deplete by like $2 per month huh. or, per, or per year or something. Like there were terms on it of if you don't use all of this within two years, you won't have access to all of it. After two years, it will like gradually deplete itself
1: and this is real insider baseball but we also happen to know that there's also an accounting reason that the business needs to do this, oh, this is not right. just about taking your money right because right. the way gift cards work for a lot of people especially is like you if you buy the gift card to a barnes and noble let's use a third party here for a hundred bucks and you give it to your mom or your dad or your sister or whatever barnes and noble has to realize that as a debit they still owe that right they they take your money, but they still owe a hundred bucks in goods and services, and so they've got to keep that on their books until it's charged. They do, they can't realize the money until it's actually been charged. But then they have the cash, and you can get you could imagine getting this in a situation where it's like we actually owe more in gift cards than we have in cash because there's decades of gift co- so. Maybe maybe this is how it happens. This is how you become right. Daddy Warbucks. You make you do business and you're like, well, I can see it from the company's point of view. But there is a weird accounting thing that has mm-hmm. to be dealt with. So,
0: Oh yeah, probably some accountant at Audible was like, we're going to have an issue if these credits just sit there forever. Yeah. So somebody figure out how to move these credits.
1: <laughs> right, and they're like, six months good? Sure, why not? Yeah. I mean, it could be something as simple as that. Mm-hmm. What's not clear to me here, it says they're going to give out 12 million free audiobooks as a result of this. How do you know? Are you, I guess you're going to get a... A, will you get a credit in your account? Because do you get this like every now and again? We'll get like a thing in the mail yeah. like you may have four dollars in uh, class action settlement money to, from you know uh, there... Daddy Warbucks gas and electrical. I mean, right? Weren't like, there settle-
0: there were ebook settlements a couple years ago? And uh, I Apple
1: got, Apple and I yeah, feel yeah. like I got
0: one from Barnes and Noble too, where I got an Ooh. email that was like you're gonna receive you know it was like a dollar twenty five in your Nook <laughs> account. <laughs> So, I would expect it would happen that way. Like, since it's a digital subscription, that you would get yeah. some notification of, like, hey, you got an extra credit um, in your account in, in Audible as a response to this thing. Here we are. Or, like, I think it came as a big form letter in, in email of, like, you will soon see an extra credit applied as a result of this class action, whatever. Um, be interesting. Let us know if you get then.
1: one yeah. podcast at bookride.com.
0: Justice for Bob.
1: Justice for Bob. <laughs> yeah. Please put justice for Bob in the subject line of the email, please.
0: You know, it's been a while since Bob had a cameo.
1: (laughs) Very exciting. Big day for Bob.
0: Uh, You want to hit us with our last Uh, Let's do our last sponsor. We got
1: potpourri of interesting Mm -hmm. stuff. This week's episode is sponsored by Once and Future by Amy Rose Capetta and Corey McCarthy. Ari Helix has been chased her entire life a fugitive refugee in territory controlled by the evil Mercer Corporation. You know their gift cards expire after six months, the Mercer Corporation. They're that bad. Um, Ari has always had to hide who she is <laughs> until she crash lands into old earth, pulls a magic sword from its ancient resting place and becomes the 42nd reincarnation of King Arthur. Then she meets Merlin, of course, because Merlin's who he comes run and every time the sword gets pulled, who has aged backwards... Over the centuries into a teenager, and together they must break the curse that keeps Arthur coming back. Their quest defeat the cruel oppressive government and bring peace and equality to all humankind. N- no pressure. Once <laughs> in Future is King Arthur, as you've never imagined, a bold, sizzling, game changing YA epic that retails the popular legend with Once in Future King as a teenage girl, and she has a universe. To say, Amy Rose Capetta and Corey McCarthy are real-life romantic partners and members of the LGBTQ plus community. Couldn't be more excited to share this story, one that showcases queer heroes on the page and the grand scale. So that's Once in Future, by Amy Rose Capetta and Corey McCarthy. Thanks to them for sponsoring this show.
0: There is a classic story that was due for some seriously. Time. I am ready to read this book.
1: Um
0: and you know what it'll probably get challenged
1: Probably beca- will get challenged
0: because LGBTQ books often get challenged as we know. Yep. So for as many years as we have done this show, we have reported on the American Library Association's list of the most frequently challenged books and the list is out. For 2018, uh, they did top 11 this year. Um, maybe as an interesting top line number to have, the ALA Office for Intellectual Freedom tracked 347 challenges to library, school, and university materials and services in 2018. And of the 483 books that were challenged and banned, here are the top 11. So I can't decide if I think that 347 is high or low. Like, we don't, we definitely don't hear about all of these because we don't even have a story. Every every week on this show about what's going on there. That's what like seven per state roughly in a year. That seems yeah. like a lot. That's a lot. This should not Almost be happening. One
1: a day. Almost yeah, one a day. Oh yeah.
0: When you put it that way, this shouldn't, no, that's too high.
1: Quick question about that. Cause I had a similar <laughs> thought. What, what, what crosses the challenge threshold? Is it a, a single letter from a parent? Like, does it oh, get recorded? I don't know. I don't know. Is it, you know, like, cause you know, that I could have, that I might imagine as being way more, but maybe that's not the, um, definition of a quote unquote, We're, We should
0: here. ask Kelly. Uh, Kelly Jensen oh, on staff is a former librarian, so we should ask her, and if you are a librarian and you know these things, feel free to email us um, about how that works. I think that's a great, like, how do you define challenge is a great uh, question for this.
1: Wait, are you saying that I am asking about more specificity I, definition? That's a shock.
0: You know, just get ready, Jeff, because you're going to want to soak this in. Okay. I think this might be a distinction that people actually do care about.
1: Justice for Bob.
0: <laughs> justice for Bob. <laughs> so maybe someday we'll have justice for Jeff, but I'm yes, going to need to like really go. prepare for that. Um, so in order uh, here in the top 11, um, George by Alex Gino. We've seen this on the list before. Um, it was – You can see the reasons on this list um, that the ALA provides that the book was challenged. Um, It was banned, it was challenged, and it was relocated in different places um, because it was believed to encourage children to clear their browser history. Man, that is a specific complaint. Um, And change their bodies using hormones and for mentioning, quote, dirty magazines, for describing male anatomy, quote, creating confusion, and just for including a transgender character because... That's where people live. Um, the book, a day in the life of Marlon Bundo by Jill twists, which was produced by the John Oliver team is mm-hmm. number two on this list. It was also banned and challenged for including LGBTQIA content. Captain underpants is here. Um, also joining captain underpants for children's books that are challenged is the Skippy John Jones series, um, which it was challenged for depicting stereotypes of Mexican culture. And, we very rarely actually see books make this list for like good reasons. Mm. Um but a children's book written by a white person that does is about a chihuahua who does do some things that are maybe not um awesome stereotypes oh, of mexican culture okay. like hmm. we might we might we might actually be due for a conversation about skippy john jones not that it should be challenged and banned places but like a discussion about that content might be useful um the hate you give by angie thomas was banned and challenged because it was deemed anti-cop uh, drama by Raina telgemeier was banned and challenged for LGBTQIA characters and themes. Thirteen Reasons Why by Jay Asher. This one, Summer by Mariko Tamaki, challenged for profanity, sexual references, and certain illustrations. That's a queer story as well. Um, Absolutely True Diary of a Part-Time Indian by Sherman Alexie. Longtime resident on this list. This Day in June by Gail Pittman, illustrated by Christina Lytton, was challenged and burned for including LGBTQIA content. And Two Boys Kissing by David Levithan was challenged and burned for including LGBTQIA content. And now I'm remembering the story. There was that piece about the guy who was burning public library books, remember?
1: Um, Oh, yeah. And I wonder if this is that guy
0: from Iowa, I believe. Um, So notably, more than half of the books on the list – were the the objection to them is connected to the fact that there aren't it's not about straight people um and that's just a theme that persists that is troubling um i think that's really the i mean that's like sort of the top line theme of this list for the last several years is that people are objecting to things about The gay community, the queer community, um, and to this notion that like telling a story about a trans character will confuse children about who they are themselves. Um, It is ridiculous. And like, I don't know if it's technically ironic. So you'll have to tell me that the book that John Oliver produced to make fun of Mike Pence for being anti-gay is a children's book about a gay bunny and that that book itself got challenged for being about yeah. gay content. <laughs> I'm not is sure that it's ironic?
1: ironic? It's not technically ironic, but we'll let it stand just
0: for it. So. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's like ironic adjacent, I guess. Yeah, there you go. Um, yeah, I mean, by yeah. my count,
1: six of these 11 books,
0: mm-hmm.
1: as you went through them, were challenged in large part because of LBGTQ plus related reasons. Yeah. Um, over time, the number of challenges. Last year, there were 354. So fewer okay. challenges this year. Mm-hmm. But the year before that, there were only 323. The year before that, before that, only 275. Huh. In 2014, 311. The high watermark of late came in 2012, of 464 challenges hmm. recorded by the Office of Intellectual Freedom. Um, for 60 in two, 2009, 513 in 2008. Oh boy, 546 in in 2006. So about 10 years ago, there was almost you know 50 percent more challenges, 40 to 50 percent more. So take that for something. I'm not sure mm-hmm. what to say about it because I was like, are there more of these or fewer of these? There's some lumpiness to it, but it sounds like 10 years ago we had a real spike in challenges. Yeah, I don't looking, know why.
0: looking at the list of the top 10 for 2008, none of them are still on this top list of banned and challenged books. Um, we've got Antango Makes Three, His Dark Materials, um, three oh a whole series by Lauren Miracle, Scary Stories by Alvin Schwartz, Bless Me Ultima, The Perks of Being a Wallflower – which people have been mad about that book for decades yeah. now, I guess. The Gossip Girl series, something called Uncle Bobby's Wedding, The Kite Runner, and Flashcards of My Life by Charisse Miracle Harper. Um, and the reasons there, like are there's some anti-ethnic things listed as a reason. Religious viewpoint is listed as a reason. So it's interesting to think back like where we were in 2008 as a culture um, – And what was happening sociologically and politically, the things people cared about. Um, There's a lot of objection here to like, this isn't religious. And like presentations of just homosexuality, like Antango Makes Three is about a gay penguin couple. And people were super upset about that. Um, So it has, we have evolved in the last 10 years that like, we're not, we're not upset now about the existence of necessarily gay people, but like, oh, the the more, Complete spectrum is upsetting now. Like, it's still a problem that people are upset about this, but we are moving, I think, in. The discussion. Um, it
1: does look like the correlation to the spike where we're at the 500s for challenges did correspond because Tango Makes Three was the number one challenge book from 2006 to 2010 and I remember that at the time that was a big deal. This was about the penguins, the gay penguins, mm-hmm. and the New York Zoo. Yep. There's even a Parks and Rec episode that's yep. inspired by that, right? right. So like, she marries I the wonder if yeah. I wonder if it alone accounted for the additional um, oh. challenges yeah. uh, above and beyond sort of what the, 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 the beat seems to be
0: That book was really a flashpoint. I remember. Um, it's
1: so cute. It's so adorable. That's yeah. so adorable. And, they and try think, to use a rock as an egg.
0: Oh, my God. I'm going to cry just thinking I know. About. And it's like, I think because it's a picture book and it's geared yeah. to like the smallest children, people got very upset about like, what are you teaching the kids? Where I think that's some of what's going on with these objections to George by Alex Gino. is it's middle grade and people who are upset about these kinds of things are like, well, you're putting that content in front of like young kids and they don't know. Like, what if it were a picture book? book about a transgender character that would we'd probably seeing even more challenges yeah for it. you know because we were in the now the years of me too this is the first year that i think i've had like a complicated relationship with a couple of the books on the yeah, list where i will i want to be very clear that i'm not for banning books ever um We've got 13 Reasons Why by Jay Asher here and The Absolutely True Diary of a Part Time Indian by Sherman Alexi. Alexi, who has acknowledged at least some of the allegations made against him, Jay Asher is currently suing people who made allegations against him, where like, booksellers are taking books by these authors off their shelves teachers and librarians are removing these books from syllabi um like i'm no longer i liked i really liked the absolutely true diary of a part-time indian but i'm not recommending that book to people anymore because i don't want to put money in sherman alexi's pocket um so i i'm having a discussion with myself about like that this presents an interesting opportunity to still fight for the principle of you know, not banning literature, but having nuance to the discussion about like we also don't have to promote literature that's by people whose actions we object to. Um I had to sit with that for a little bit. It's complicated. That's
1: tricky. Um I'm not sure what else there is to say there. Link in the show notes. Yeah. If the historical data is interesting that it's it's not really durable over time. It is yeah. interesting to see, oh, people are worried about that book, that book, like what's new But then people forget. People forget. You know, probably I wonder, here would be an interesting dad, how many of those libraries or schools that had an Entango Mix 3 challenged has a copy of Entango Mix 3 in the
0: library right now? Yeah. You know, going back the oldest list that's on this page we can just scroll right back to is from 2001 and it's dominated so like almost 20 years ago it's dominated by Harry Potter and then like Not surprised. Cl- and then classics of school syllabi like of mice and men the chocolate war i know why the cage bird sings catcher in the rye go ask alice fallen angels are the big ones on here that I've seen on syllabi that I read in school. Um, And then also something called Summer of My German Soldier, um, Alice just by Phyllis Reynolds Naylor, and Blood and Chocolate by Annette curtis Claus, And those that aren't like big titles that we know about from school lists – we haven't heard about in years. Like I have never heard of Blood and Chocolate um, in my- Yeah, that's
1: fascinating. Right? But like
0: 20 years ago, we were upset about things that we'd been teaching for decades.
1: I'm wondering if what's happened is, those are like more high school books, right? Like Mm -hmm. books you'd Mm -hmm. read in high school. I wonder as, as culture around books and culture at large has become- in aggregate, let's say, more progressive. I think that's true over time, mm-hmm. especially in the last 15 years. If that's true, don't at me if you disagree. You can disagree. That's fine. I'm, I could be wrong. We've moved from where Where do people who challenge books like this feel more comfortable challenging a book? Mm. And kind of like we said with Antango Makes for or George by Alex Gino, they're more comfortable. They feel like they might have more success maybe challenging books for younger and younger kids, because we are, I think, rightly writ large, more protective mm-hmm. of younger kids, yeah. right? So that's the, the battle lines have moved from high school, like sex in high school books, to say you're going to challenge a book for that kids in high school reading because has sex in it, now seems almost laughable. I think some of this other stuff is yeah. laughable too, but it's laughable to a higher number of people now mm-hmm. than, say, um, books about being trans. You can get more people on your side Wrongly, I think, may your efforts fail. Yeah, and these are um, about George mm-hmm. um, being, you know, for fourth graders. That's just th- where the the battle line might be. I
0: think you're right. There's a real like think of the children yes, aspect definitely. to this. And looking now at this list of eleven for the year, they're all books for people who aren't adults. Like there is Mm -hmm. not a single title on this list that's written for adults. George's middle grade, a day in the life of Marlon Bundo is a children's book. Captain Underpants is a kids series. The hate you give is YA drama is a YA um, graphic novel. 13 reasons why is YA this one. Summer is a YA graphic novel skippy john is picture books absolutely true diary is ya this day in june is a kid's book two boys kissing is ya and so there's a real like catch them before you can influence them too much kind of thing
1: yeah right
0: you know it does we talk about it every year but that people get upset about these things points back to like that they do recognize that books and reading are powerful they just don't understand how it works um that a book won't turn you gay
1: (laughs) And then well, even if it could,
0: that would be fine.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's what I was going to say. Or they're right. I mean, or they're right that it it can normalize mm. things that people don't want to be normalized. Um, I don't know.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, I think that's the, the point for many of these yeah. writers is to normalize things that we believe are, on the progressive side of things that we believe are normal and should be normalized. But like, if you're not trans reading George is not going to make you
1: trans (laughs) right if you
0: are trans and you're a kid and you have feelings that you haven't found language for this book might give you language for that and that's powerful um but folks who think like this book is going to turn my child trans like just fundamentally don't understand
1: yeah and that bans I mean you put the liquor behind the cabinet with a lock makes the liquor more attractive. I mean, there's that other sort of Streisand effect mm-hmm. thing that goes on too. Right. I, it'd be fascinating to hear from people who um, lived in a community where books were banned. You oh, know, yeah. Could, could they get them? Did they think about it? Was it a thing? Because um, there is that, we've talked about it before, where these people that write a letter to their you know local elementary school library and then suddenly there's a piece on Bustle or somewhere about it, they're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Um. Now everyone's talking about George, mm-hmm. which is an amazing book. I'm glad. I'm so glad. that I was just thinking about. That, I was in the the kids section of my local library the other day, and I was like, it was out, and it was a staff pick. And I'm like, wow, that's amazing. And my, when I was a kid, that that just would not have happened. I don't. I it, I lived in a a college town in the Midwest, but like even that. The book didn't exist for starters, but even if it had, I don't think it would be on its own, like, cover-out display with a staff recommendation under it. Mm. Um, that that was heartening. It's disheartening to yeah. it challenged, but it's only challenged because it exists. Um, and yeah, maybe that the, it exists
0: know, it, is a huge thing.
1: Yeah. So That's if you've got more feedback progress. and you know more things about how this works... Um, we're always yeah. interested in what these. What constitutes
0: the, a challenge.
1: Yeah, or you, if you're a local library, if you're a librarian that's been through this, how it works before, okay. podcast at Com. We can also keep you anonymous for sure. I know oh, I don't yeah. want anyone doing saying something that they want to say but won't say it because they're afraid of their name getting out there or something. Um, that's our show. Yes. Podcast at Com for feedback. Uh, if you get an Audible credit, you know more about... Um, how the logistics, but also the realities of challenges and book bannings in libraries and schools. Um, and, oh, recommendations. I, I have a few. I need to start the doc so I can start looking at it. But I have oh, a few recommendations yes. so far. Podcast at bookriot.com for a mom, dad, grad, yourself, gift, whatever. Um, we tend to do it around this time of year to help people buy books for people that need gifts. But also, we like to do it a couple times a year. And this is a good excuse to do it. Show notes at bookriot.com slash listen. We'll talk to you next week.
0: Have a good one.